I want to still come back to this notion, you know, your sort of solution to the dilemma that Mary Murphy's positioning gave you. And, and, the, and the way you solve it is this idea that if you really, I mean, I mean, this was, this was language that uh, was part of this research from these years ago, but this idea of being a genius maker. You know, if, 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 but I think with Steve, it's like he was, he wasn't, it wasn't, are you a genius or a genius maker? It's like he was a genius and a genius maker. Yes. And, and, and that seems to be what you're describing. And, and of course, that has to be the ideal scenario, but it, it, it helps us to create a hierarchy, right? Like the hierarchy isn't, <laughs> it's like, don't try to be the genius. Don't try to be the genius maker try to be a genius who's a genius maker, right? Like it's, it, right. it at least somehow produces something of, of, of what you want to have. When I've interviewed or worked directly with people that worked with Steve, one of the things they say to me, and I'm curious about your take on this. They said, they said, look, you don't do the best work of your life working for a jerk, right? So the idea that the media narrative is an oversimplification, oversimplified narrative to say, oh yeah, well, Steve Jobs is just always a jerk. It's like, they're like, whatever, man. That, that's just people that didn't know, didn't understand or whatever. What's your sense of that? Do you, you, would you agree with that sentiment? Well, would you see it differently? His mission was, I think, to make the world a better place with computers. And that's a very, very admirable mission. And so I think all, you know, all things can be forgiven and accepted and even enjoyed and embraced. But he was driven to make the world better and that's okay. Well, and, 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 and I want to double click on it just one more level because, you know, there's been a lot, you've seen it, surely you've seen more than your fair share of it, of leaders who have tried to cop the, the trivial surface, skin deep media version of Steve. Right. Right. Like, oh, I'll wear, you know, I'll wear the turtle, the black turtleneck top because that's what did it. Yeah. You know, that's what it was. It's like, or, or I will, or I will treat people a certain way that, that, that I perceived that he was so eccentrically excellence driven I, I'm gonna I'm gonna also be very black and white with you because that's how it is. And I feel I thought about this all the way through this trial of you know Theranos. Yeah, the Theranos trial, right? I mean, this is this is someone who is absolutely enamored with everything about Steve that didn't matter. You know, everything about Steve that isn't what generated the breakthroughs, the right. innovation, and 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 thought, well, if I just do all of that stuff. With a, with a surface understanding, yeah. therefore, I will be successful. What's your take on that? My take on that is that everybody should understand basic statistics. And that number one rule of basic statistics is correlation is not the same as causation. Yeah. And they thought that the turtleneck, the Porsche, the Mercedes, the parking in the handicap slot the ripping people in public, you know, the New Balance shoes, the 501 jeans, all of that is correlated. It didn't cause Steve Jobs. And, and you, you can also see that in a corporate sense that everybody used to come to Silicon Valley and they get the tour of Google and, you know, 
oh, they see the volleyball, they see the sushi bar, they see the barbecue bar, they see the salad bar, they see the dry cleaning on campus, they see the dentist van, they see the car changing, oil change in the bottom, they see the buses helping employees commute with Wi-Fi, and then they go back to their companies and they they put in the sushi bar and the ping pong table and the volleyball and all that. And they just have better fed employees. That, that's correlation. That's not causation. It's such shallow. It's copying, isn't it? It's, it's copying yeah. the, the, the shallow code of, of a company or of a, a leader and not getting to the heart of it. Listen, if you could put a drop of blood and get all the diagnosis Tara knows promise. Well, for one thing, Elizabeth would not be in jail today, but she could wear a white turtleneck. She could wear stiletto heels. She could drive a (laughs) Prius. It would not matter, right? We would love her. She would be a hero, right? Yeah, like just minus all of the innovation from Apple, there's not much of a story, right? Like, like, like be the, be the chief evangelist minus all the products like <laughs> that's an like, oxymoron <laughs> right but, but exactly but but that's what that's what theranos was it's like we'll we'll copy everything but the actual ability to get the thing done to yeah. actually break through what's been done before and <laughs> and and that that idea i'll just keep on i'll just keep on selling this vision i'll just keep on selling it and selling it and framing it and reframing it i mean i was at some level maybe what she was hoping for was that eventually the innovation would catch up to the to the external story but it seems to me that it wasn't really that that's that's the most generous telling of the story that i can muster but it seemed so centrally full of self-deception that the deception was the point yeah not not, not that, that was the goal but it's like it's like, I will, I want to tell this story. I want to be Steve Jobs. So I'll just try to take the mantle without doing the work. I think even more disturbing than Elizabeth and Sonny was the complicit and just, I, I mean, just like irresponsible act of their board of directors. I mean, they just... They just went along with it. I mean, these are secretaries of state. You know, these are people who declared war on countries. So you're telling me these secretaries of state, they once controlled whether America would go to war, but they couldn't figure out that her results were fake. I mean, like my head is exploding, right? I mean, Well, I mean, that's one way to frame the awakening. But another way to frame that awakening is... What is the point of a board of directors? Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying I am against board of directors in making that question. It's just, there's like a saying in England, it's like, you know, what's the point of you? You know, it's like a, it's like a sort of joking put down. Like, what is the point of you? What is the point of you, boards of directors, if such a thing can happen? Like, right. what is really happening in the boardroom, in those board meetings? What is the level of of connection to the people inside of the organization a right. few layers down if if you can operate in that way like that that's one way to frame it and another way to frame it is isn't oh you were competent in making decisions or going to war 
but not in this. It raises for me questions about, I don't mean individuals, I mean overarching decision-making competence in the highest offices of the land. And it makes me, it makes me feel queasy because you know, you get to a certain age in life and, and suddenly you're like a ba- basically the age of the people who are making these decisions, you know, either a little older, or a little younger, but you're in the ballpark and you go, well, I know what I know and I know what my life experience is. And they obviously have different experience and different, but they don't have more life experience. They just have different. And I know all the things I still don't know. And I'm appalled by everything I don't know. And suddenly the world feels very, very, what's the word? It's like very sketchy to me now. It's yeah. like, yeah, I worry about the implication of those people having made those kinds of decisions about war and the level of sophistication in that thinking too. It, that's what it raises for me. Does it yeah. for you or am I being overly negative? No, we're not. Yeah, not being overly negative. No, we're not. No, yeah. we're not. You know what? I mean, I, I, maybe some theologian will correct me, but I am under the impression that the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, the Vatican, they had this person called the devil's advocate. And the devil's advocate job was to be the naysayer when someone was nominated to be the Pope, right? So this person was supposed to go find all the reasons not to make the Pope the Pope. And they did it just so that they could have like a, to use a buzzword, like a 360 degree view. They, you know, they didn't want everybody just jumping on the bandwagon. They wanted somebody to say, just a second, you know, here's something you should think about. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with you completely. I mean, it brings into mind this, you know, it's a classic Harvard Business School case study it's still taught in their negotiation courses now and, and even in executive education courses, but it's where they compare JFK's decision-making before Bay of Pigs and then, and then when he was dealing with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, and it's so brilliant. I mean, it, yeah, so you could say it's dated or you could worry it's dated, but it illustrates so brilliantly the difference. The first time he just took the authority figures, like surface conclusions at face value. Well, they must know what they're talking about. They're all saying it together. He's such a young president. He's going with their, you know, fine, let's go. uh, Trust everything you're saying. And by the time everything goes wrong with that, everything he'd been told, every assumption turned out to be wrong, it was a disaster. And by the time he gets to the Cuban Missile Crisis, he's like, no, we, we will debate. We will wrestle this down. We will figure this out. We will, to use a Steve Jobs, something that's been said, I think, correctly about Steve Jobs. This is the Intel CEO at the time, Andy Grove, said of Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs always got it right. And, and, and they're like, well, he always got it right. How can you? Of course, he didn't always get it right. And he's like, I didn't say he, he's all, he was always right. I said he always got it right, meaning he wasn't focused on being right. He was focused on getting it right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a kind of growth mindset as it applies to leadership because you're, you want to get to, you aren't so, what would you say, so, so fixed about everyone else and about me that we just have to play the roles we're currently playing. You're going, hey, we are going to get to the data together. We're going to get smarter together. We're going to make a better decision together than we would have made before when I just trusted you on the surface. I love that distinction. I will tell you something, though. If you were going to go tell Steve Jobs that he was wrong, you could do it, but you better be right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's... So I had Ron Johnson on here, and he told the whole story, an anecdote about when he did go to Steve. They'd already been building for months the what this Genius store would look like what the Genius Bar and the new Apple store would look like. And he suddenly came back to him and he said, look, if what you're saying is true, that you want a hub system, then the way we've designed everything is wrong. And so they had this really awkward drive in the Mercedes you're describing, like silence the whole time, either driving to their makeshift, you know, store that's inside of a, you know, it's just a, in some big warehouse. And and by the t- when he arrives... They walk in together and he says, Ron has just told me that we've done everything wrong and he's right and he's going to stay here and work with you till we fixed it. And that story to me was such a great capsulation of some of these things that we've been able to talk about today of, of this, like whatever that is, that's a willingness to completely rethink your previous thinking. Not ego going, oh, I have to, I am right. It's like, okay, that is right. That drives me crazy that we got that wrong. That's a waste. <laughs> it's exhausting. But okay, now we're going to get on with the, the okay. next thing. Let me, be the, let me be the host and you be the guest now, okay, okay. for one question. 
Yeah, I like it. Do you think Elon Musk has a growth mindset? Yes. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a yes that he does. Because, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it's a, this is a tiny micro evidence, but like he'd been, he was interviewed by some, someone about, you know, about one of these, these, these ships that in SpaceX and, and the person asked him a very specific question about the nose cone of it. And, and he's answering it. And then he goes mid-sentence. Oh, no, I'm glad you asked me that. No, that's wrong. We're doing that wrong. No, we have to, we have to change that. Thank you for that. That's great. We're going to change that. And I thought, man, just show me the CEO, the Polish CEO who wants to look right all the time, wants to look the right, have, they have the right answer that would be able to do that. They, they cannot do it. They could certainly not do it real time because it illustrates, oh, I didn't know before. And well, what kind of a CEO wouldn't know something <laughs> in the past? You know? And so, so that's the, a microcosm of something. But the ability to not to do it once or twice, but to innovate multiple times, not just within the same company over 20 years, but to do it again and again and again in, in different industries. It's very, very hard to be competent and successful in two or three different I industries. Yeah. Like you can't fake competence in multiple, multiple areas of your life. You actually have to be smart and learning fast to do that. So by that test, you have to give Elon Musk more credit than Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs was, you know, just compu just computers, right? No, maybe just computers and phones and whatever. But more or less, he stayed in the same lane. Whereas Elon is tunnels, panels, cars, space. I mean, you name it, chips in your head. Although he's the last person in the world I would let put a chip in my head. I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not putting any, I don't want to put any chip in my head. Are you kidding me? This is not, this is. I, don't I have a cochlear implant in my head. It's okay. Yeah. Well, you may, may maybe you'll be more comfortable for earlier than me, but I, I'm like, I don't want to be on the cutting edge of that technology. I <laughs> want to be on the, the hype, you know, the hype cycle. I want to wait until we're in productive yeah, plateauing before I even Jeffrey Moore that. calls Main Street. Yeah. 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 Indeed. I think that's a I think that's valid. I mean, I suppose that in some ways the most compared leaders now by generation, right? Like, okay, Musk is the new Steve Jobs, right? Because of this fearlessness in pushing innovation forward and being dissatisfied with whatever is and actually trying to, you know, wrestle it down. Why can't we do it? Don't tell me we couldn't do it before just because, why? Let's go deeper and deeper. I do think that there's, there's more similarity than, 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 yeah. than difference in them, certainly in terms of growth and grit. Race, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's but a, I would make the case that Elon Musk is also more dangerous than Steve in terms of if he goes off the wall, <laughs> it's going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, the the, what's pretty remarkable, I think, about your question about Musk, like if, if Steve had lived 10 years longer, we sort of, I feel like I kind of know what would have happened. Not precisely, because there would have been another wave of breakthrough innovation that Apple didn't go through. And it seems to me that Apple has innovated and they, they have improved loads of things. But if Steve had been there, the focus wouldn't just have been on scaling with excellence, which is, I think, what has happened at Apple. There would have been this, let's challenge a whole new area. You know, maybe not watches, it would have been television or, been, you know, I don't know, something earlier. That's my sense. But it would have been within Apple and it would have been within a certain range. Yeah. With Musk, you, 
I never get this. I do not in any way get the sense that his story is written even now. It's like the next 10 years could be, we have no idea. It is. I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> I think that is a, a wild, wild future. Uh, and, and we're going to have to, we're going to have to hold on with it. For, well, for, I'll get life. my chip in my head after you. <laughs> well, there's no, none of us should be getting a chips. I'm like, what? I want to see him with it first. Yeah. <laughs> it. Musk first. He was asked that in an interview. Would you get it? And he was like, why? Sorry, was he like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, maybe not the very first thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's the, that's the way the rest of us feel. You first must, then we'll see. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not exactly the same as, you know, okay, you'd be the first person to ride a Segway scooter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that, well, I, I actually have a point of view. Like, I don't think it's a good idea for me to have the internet in my head. They're like, the closer the internet has come to my life, the bigger the trade-offs. I, I mean, I'm literally saying it's true, right? Like AI at my fingertips is, has its place, but as you've put smartphones, okay, I got a, I got a final question for you. I'm <laughs> going to make a statement, make a statement. I want you to tell me if you, you, is it true or not? This is good coming from the chief evangelist of the, you know, chief evangelist of Silicon Valley here. Okay. The device in your pocket is not a phone. It is a $3 trillion military-grade, disorienting, addictive, disconnecting machine, and you're no match for it. And what's the question? True or false? False. Tell me. I believe that it is a great tool. I believe that, I mean, if you're particularly talking about the AI aspect and the soon-to-be AI aspect of phones and devices... We may differ here, but I think that AI may be the last hope for saving mankind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's such a good, such a, such an evangelist take. Uh, so, so I'm not uniquely positioning this about AI. I, I think it's about if you go back and as we look at the data that we have now from starting, let's say 2012, which is a key moment, a tipping point. One, because that's when all the problems start showing up for adolescent girls and, and, and massive increases in depression, depression spikes and anxiety spikes and lower friend levels. Not just adolescent girls, but that's been the that's been the worst of all categories. You, you go back and you say, okay, well, it's where social media combines with smartphones in your pocket. Like that's the that's the unholy alliance. And so I don't need AI in the picture to come to the okay. come to this position. I just think this thing this thing was so different than Steve's original vision for it, right? There, were no, there weren't even any apps for it. There was, certainly wasn't any social media for it. So the original vision of a very smooth, clean, simplifying experience, I think has, has been co-adopted into something that I think has done, yeah, I think it's not a lot of damage, yeah. That's what I think. Well. What a note to end it on. Well, I, I have two thoughts. One thought is, I seldom get involved in this kind of question where it's mm. purely theoretical. 
Right. Because, you know, we, we can't know. put that horse back in the barn. Nope. So, that, that, like, that why even think about it? of the bottle. Yeah. So that's one. And the second thing is, this is a case where it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around the true impact of something. Because, yes, you can pick isolated, you know, teenage girls having this problem, child pornography, you know, whatever. There's, there's a whole litany of bad things, right? Okay. But you have to keep in mind all the good things, too. And I, I think on balance, it's a good thing. And I mean, I guess one test would be you know, everybody just give up your phone, see what happens. Is it all good or all bad? Listen, I, I sleep better at night knowing that my son could call me if he has a flat tire than before. I do. There's no question about that. Okay. Well, you, you made, you've made a compelling argument for having mobile phones with that example, not the combination of 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 hundred billion dollars on testing on any given day, one thousand versions of Facebook to <laughs> to to more and more precisely figure out exactly what maximizes the amount of time someone spends on the device. Right, like no individual is even aware that's happening. Never mind the level of precision that this data is giving. It's it's not like it's not like having a, a d addictive book that you, you you're reading and, and binge reading, that, that thing is what it is when you pick it up at, and you can put it down. The phone is this infinitely more adaptive device and it's, and, and it's like this double exponential curve. So the, the, the technology is advancing, like the actual hardware is advancing, the software is advancing, but also the, the precision with which an individual can be addicted, can be pulled down a path that they weren't expecting to be pulled down uh, aren't even aware they're being pulled down, right? <laughs> the radicalization of things and so on. So it's an interesting place for us to get in the conversation. Uh, yeah. It's like we're launching into a whole new conversation, yeah. which is, uh, which, which we'd neither have, have time to do this moment. <laughs> but, uh, but you, so you would just say, you say all in all, the good has been, has outweighed the bad. You say net, net, it's better. Yes. I would say that about phones. I would say it about internet, social media. And I'll go on the record right now. I'm going to say that about AI. I think AI is our last great hope. You know, Greg, I, I ask you two simple questions. Okay. If you were designing a school curriculum for your kids, would you rather have Ron DeSantis do it or chat GPT? I mean, you're, you're asking it as a, asking that question as a rhetorical question because you think it's so obvious that it should be chat GPT rather than Ron DeSantis. But I think it's, and, and I'm not, I don't need to respond to it from a, from a where I am on the political spectrum because I'm politically independent anyway. But the question is, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that your rhetorical question works as you would like because with Ron DeSantis, I know what his political bias is, right? So the political bias can be, can be assessed more clearly Okay. with AI. And, and this, is, this is Musk's primary argument against AI, even though it seems to me that he's might have done more than any other single person to accelerate AI. And he <laughs> still, you know, he's the only person I see building an AI robot it, 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 it with any likelihood of achieving it. So it's like 
pretty weird for me to hear him talk yeah. about it and then at exactly the same time be creating more with AI than anywhere else. So I don't know. That's its own question. But but his primary argument is like, if the bias within AI becomes so sophisticated that nobody knows, that's the biggest threat. Because how would we know? Eventually, how do you know? If it infiltrates, if it becomes your mechanism for seeing everything, right? So I see, I use ChatGPT more than Google now. I mean, that's true. And I know I'm right. not alone in that, right? This is the first potential Google killer that exists, that has existed since Google came into the, into the picture. Yes. And, and of course, their response to it is already and is going to be, okay, well, here's our AI advancement of Google, right? So that, you know, right. it's, how do we make, you know, that, that Google suddenly has to dance. But when I, I'm already using it that way. And of course, I know logically, well, there's bias in this. And, and sometimes I'll be reading things that I know personally a decent amount about. And I go, oh, well, it's wrong. You know what it's saying here is, you know, I can see that being wrong. But it's like over time, you, you stop worrying about that. And the, the, your perception of gap reduces because you're just using this as a tool all the time. And so I think, well, you know, people create this stuff, man. Like, I know you know that, but like, just to state it again, like Facebook was designed by someone. And, 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 and obviously it was many, many more people than, than, than Zuckerberg, but Zuckerberg's assumptions of the world were still built into the original model of Facebook. You know, presumption that you could digitize the human experience, the social human experience at all is an assumption that he held that gave him fire for the deed. Those are interesting assumptions. If you're wrong in the, in the original code, you create mayhem above you. Yeah, but okay. But to push back on that line of thinking, I would make the case that program Ron DeSantis and somebody decided that white males should run the world. And that's the bias in Ron DeSantis. He's been programmed that way, just like somebody could program chat GPT. So it's not like Ron DeSantis has like investigated all these, all these things and has come to this intelligent conclusion. The Republican National Committee, the Koch brothers, they programmed Ron DeSantis. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a. I mean, what we're talking about is the is the prevalence of of deeply entwined bias, yeah. whether in technology or people, and and, and both are. It, it's a very tough toss up between them because because you're right that in in the sense that humans are carriers of bias. Obviously, you know, ninety five percent of the decisions we're making are subconscious. So that's something's doing all of that. There's biology, but there's also like just subconscious yes. ideas about the world. And we've been talking about growth mindset. It's one example of a thousand mindsets that, that we have, fixed mindset views that we have. You've just expressed some yourself, right? About, well, my view of the Republican com you know, committee is X and, 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 and white males should, you know, those are, all, those are all frames as well, right? So meaning frames. And it's not obvious to me which is more dangerous to automate that <laughs> inside of humans or to automate that inside of technology. My experience is that, is that automation cuts two ways, right? I had the CEO, right. the president of Microsoft on the podcast recently, and he, he, he wrote a book about weapons and tools and about how technology can be both. And he's like one of the only senior technologists I've ever heard seriously admit that even though everybody knows 
logically that it's there. The drinking of the Kool-Aid is so strong in my, I mean, I've worked in Silicon Valley, not as long as you have, obviously, but, but for the last 15, closer to 20 years now, I've worked with every major company, like everybody drinks the Kool-Aid. And, and so, and, and that's good because you need that to, as you said earlier, you need that motivation if you're going to try and create new things and, and sacrifice in order to do it and challenge assumptions. But if you do it, always seeing it only the, the upside, you, you keep, it's like exactly what happened to Facebook. Suddenly it's like, oh, well, geez, that, that, that experiment didn't work the way we thought. And so there's this downside. And so it's not that I'm anti-technology. I'm not. I'm not a Luddite. But I just think there's been, I think things have come together. I wouldn't be the perfect, I don't think I'd be the perfect chief evangelist right now, would I? I don't think that's, the, I don't think that's the next job for me. Like I was saying, I wish we, I wish we had longer. I'm so late for my next meeting, and you, I'm sure, are too. But I definitely want to stay in touch, and I want to carry on this conversation because <laughs> this is a good one. This is a good debate to be having. Guy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And if you're out there listening, I hope you'll at least look at the book after this discussion. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> of course they will. They'll love how real you've been. You know, they'll just love it. Thank you, Guy. All right. Take care. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.